Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the On Texas Football Tuesday Night live stream. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every Tuesday by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of Inside Texas and On3 Sports. And guys, it's, uh, you know, summer starting. It's right around the corner, but it's already busy. Lots of things going on. But one thing that I want to touch on, you know, just right off the bat, and Bobby, I'm going to let you take the lead on this, is uh, the unfortunate news that the Texas community received recently, not only Texas, but New Mexico as well. And I'll let you just go ahead on that one, Bobby. And the Hullaby family totally. J- Jaden Hullaby passed away over the weekend, uh, former Longhorn, signed in the 2020 class, originally committed to uh, uh, Tom Herman, but uh, signed eventually by Steve Sarkeesian. Spent one year at Texas at linebacker. Some thought he might end up being a uh, fullback slash H-back type. Uh, transferred after a redshirt year in 2021, uh, to New Mexico, uh, moved to New Mexico, played last year, was going to try to be a grad transfer, we believe, this year, uh, possibly uh, to Florida Atlantic even. Uh, but at this point, uh, we know that he has passed away. Uh, and so we want to uh, send our thoughts and prayers uh, to he, his family uh, as they uh, uh, no doubt uh, try to, uh, you know, get back to some semblance of uh, what 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 was uh, a very a very good family? His brother plays college football as well, uh, and the the guys up at Mansfield Timberview, Andre Kojo, uh, the only uh, Longhorn I believe that's from Mansfield Timberview and that high school as well. Uh, although the Mansfield area in general is one that the Longhorns are very familiar with, and uh, you know Jerry can talk about it, but I believe Jaden still had some really good friends from that recruiting class. Uh, in Austin, uh, Jade Barron being one of them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in all, this, this is not something that we wanted to start the show with and hate to hear about it, but it's something that Longhorn fans definitely need to know about. Uh, Jaden Hullaby passed away this weekend, a member of the 2020 recruiting class for the University of Texas. Well, guys, the other news for the Longhorns, of course, today uh, coming, or major news, I guess I should say, is in the basketball world. And uh, again, not the most positive news for Longhorn fans. So Jerry, I'll let you talk about that, the Ron Holland situation, and uh, probably make some Longhorn fans upset with what you're about to have to say. Well, it's, it's really going to make him upset when he signs with Arkansas and enroll. <laughs> yeah, so he, I, I, he met, I think, with G League today. I, I just I think he'll go to Arkansas. I actually put in an RPM at 95% about two minutes ago right before the show. <laughs> For Arkansas, um, look, if he ends up in the G League, he does. But I, I don't know on that. Um, I still think Arkansas is where he's most likely uh, to end up. And, of course, when you're dealing with pro options, things can change. But, look, the, I, I was of the opinion Texas shouldn't release him. And I love Ron. And it's nothing against Ron, but it's the timing and just how everything went down. But at the end of the day, Texas is a Nike school. Nike grassroots basketball is very powerful. Um, it's a very key part of the future of Texas basketball, and um, they needed to um, uh, consider that. And I think that was a big reason why he was released was Nike and Nike grassroots. Jerry, you, you mentioned that. Uh, how, how much of a role does that have in recruitment uh, in college basketball? Well, I think it's huge. I mean, look, if you don't release a kid, then you're going into Dallas to try to recruit Trey Johnson. Liam McNeely's from Dallas, even though he's a Montbird. You're trying to recruit kids from Drive Nation. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal's daughter plays volleyball at Texas. They have some tremendous young players in that program. So there could be a trickle down. Like everybody's worried about 
Well, what what would happen if they don't release Ron with Duncanville football players? Well, I was at Duncanville last week, and not a football player even mentioned it. That's not going to be a blip on the radar of Colin Simmons when he makes a football decision, an NIL decision in his recruitment. Um, but it's more the Nike grassroots and all the talent in DFW and more that the AAU programs are very powerful. Man, yeah, so just not the not, not the best news for Texas there. Well, look, if he was going to UCLA, it's not that big. A, it's not that big a deal, <laughs> fans. But he's going to Arkansas is going to be the uh, the sting there. Yeah, it's more of a kick in the craw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just to be be honest with you. Hey, we need to say thank. It's one thing to leave in the eleventh hour. It's another thing to go in the eleven and a half hour to an old rival. <laughs> That's fair. Hey, we need to say thanks to our sponsor. Each and every Tuesday night, the live stream is brought to you by Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the great state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's energytexas.com or 855-461-1111. Uh, we're going to take y'all's questions on, on this live stream as well today. Uh, Jerry and Blake and I are going to be going it. Jay, uh, Blake, you're the MC, so let's get it going. All right, guys. So let's uh, let's just go ahead and jump right on in here, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll just get started from the top. And uh, E Kim here wants to know who do you think is the best recruiter on the coaching staff, regardless of position. Also, does Burrell see the field this season since he's enrolling in the summer? All right, well, the leader in the clubhouse has to be Tashard Choice, and that's on a really talented staff, Jeff Banks, Bo Davis, uh, Kyle Flood. Uh, but anytime you go do something that's never been done before, you go into Florida and get the number one ranked running back in the country uh, to Texas, then you're the leader. And we'll see. Look, I mean, he may do it again with Jarrett Gibson. Miami's making a run at Gibson just like Miami made a run at Cedric Baxter in the last class. Um, and then there's Christian Clark. I mean – if Tashard Choice got both of the backs he wants and you go to Arizona and beat out USC and Oregon for Christian Clark, and then you go to Florida and beat out Miami, Tennessee, and everybody else for Jarrett Gibson, it's hard to argue against. And also factoring in Tashard Choice is a big reason why you're in on Peyton Kirkland, right, last year and opened that door for Kyle Flood. And then he's got some doors open in Georgia, which have never been open before. Daniel Calhoun, uh, him and Kyle Flood are working that recruitment uh, in the 2024 class, Texas hasn't pulled a top five ranked offensive tackle in the country out of the Atlanta area ever, to my knowledge. So that would be like Cedric Baxter. So right now, it's obviously to shard choice. Uh, Bobby, your thoughts on Burrell? I think not being an early enrollee sets him back. Yeah, I, I just don't see that. I mean, seeing the field, though, is a, is a broad term. Uh, you're talking blowouts. You're talking possible special teams work in that mm-hmm. category meaningful reps is doubtful for me um unless of course injury uh plays a toll uh in the middle of the field there hey hey the thing that i would take uh maybe uh step back with you on jerry you mentioned tashard choice getting the number one running back in the country out of uh, out of uh uh florida what about steve sarkeesian getting the number one quarterback in the country out of louisiana <laughs> as well as the number one quarterback the previous year as a bounce back through the portal. Yeah. 
I Fair mean, point. He, 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 now AJ Milwee. Well, there's, there's only been one Manning go to Texas, and Matt Brown tried and failed. So maybe it is Sark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I mean, telling you, he just did something Matt Brown couldn't do. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, I feel like that one was pretty big uh, yeah. because uh, Sark as a head coach is a pretty good recruiter. He's proven that not only at Texas, but he was a good recruiter at USC and at Washington as well. And, and really revitalize those programs from a talent standpoint. The, the question I have, you know, is have we seen enough to really decide this? Because like Kyle Flood, I'll give you an example. I'd give him an A++ for the 2022 class. I'd give him an A minus B plus for the 2021 or 2023 class because those guys aren't necessarily those top elite guys that he got the five stars with the uh, Kelvin Banks uh, and uh, DJ Campbell, Neto, those kind of guys. So I just wonder if we've seen enough of guys like Kyle Flood to really say, okay, he's an elite recruiter. Uh, maybe we have. I mean, he certainly he's he's done his job while he's at Texas. I just wonder if that's going to continue or if that was rarefied air he was uh, sitting in uh, two years ago. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. I mean, look, you know what? You have to be prepared to make the most of recruitments and situations. And Mario Cristobal taking the Miami job, a flood in Texas remain patient in the recruiting process, and that paid dividends, right? Um, you look at kind of and the, the another interesting one for me is Bo Davis. And look, Texas has to get some big bodies, some large humans on the defensive line. But whenever you come to Texas and you go get a four-star kid from Alabama, a four-star kid from Mississippi. Um, you go in and get Jure Bledsoe, and you got him early enrolled, too, by the way. I mean, he, he's done some work, too. I think fairly unfairly he's going to be judged here by this class, and you're going into – and he helps in Louisiana a lot with Javon Tapp. Obviously, he was the primary recruiter of that one. But um, you're going into SEC territory, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia, going for the big-time defensive linemen, and that's a hard pull. So maybe, like you said, this isn't decided yet. If Bo Davis got three four-star kids, defensive tackles, out of those SEC region states, he's probably right there in the conversation too. Well, guys, this next question kind of touches on that a little bit. And this may be tongue-in-cheek, but it's from Jesse Ullman. And he wants to know, why has Texas not offered every elite defensive lineman or defensive end? Well, I, I've got this one, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about every, but they've offered, by my count and by the on three database, They've offered 21 edge prospects and 33 defensive linemen. That's not everybody, but that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, they've offered every top edge kid. I mean, here's the reality, though, um, is those are the premium of premium position players. There's a reason that Georgia Kirby did everything they could to knock Nick out of those kids in Georgia. And, and is Georgia's trying to knock Clemson out of those kids. You look at these teams that win the national championships and they win the big battles for those guys. Texas, he's the, the, to me, that's an on-the-field thing still to come for Texas too. The offensive guys, look, Sark's resume speaks for itself. they got to get over the hump on the field this year. They need to go win 10 games. They need to head into the SEC as a top-10 ranked program. And it'll be amazing, I think, how some kids start viewing Texas a little differently. Uh, Texas is going to do well offensively, defensively. That's still the haul that they have to make. And once you get to that top 10 ranking again, 
Then you're sitting there across from the table and it's Georgia and it's Alabama and it's uh, Clemson for every top ranked guy you're going to, and Ohio State on Larry Johnson on D line. Look at the competition you're going against. They aren't really going to beat them on those guys right now. Um, so they can beat them on one or two, but they aren't going to win a lot of these battles, just being real. All right, guys, this next question, again, kind of on the same, along the same lines here. And, of course, I know, Jerry, you just talked about Bo Davis, so I figure we'll just stay on the subject here. But Jeremy Weisberg says, why isn't Bo Davis recruiting at the level we thought he would? Well, I mean, I, I tend to think he is. Uh, look, I mean, I think there's, again, it's kind of what I just said. The th thought that five-star defensive tackles are going to run the Austin when you haven't won in their lifetime is not – that's not the scenario that I'm working with here. Um, Texas needs to get over the hump on the field. And uh, But, you know, two years ago in the 2022 class, Dre Bledsoe is a top 150 kid in the country. Aaron Bryant's a four-star kid. I mean, you go down the list of guys, and they're highly ranked guys. They were guys that were wanted by SEC programs, right? Um, Bo, Bo was big on, he was the primary of, uh, Finkley and Jamon Tapp, right? And so he just doesn't recruit his position. Um, so, you know, let's see how this thing plays out, but he's in on the right guys. But I think it's just, it, it's interesting that people think that these kids are just going to come to Austin. Well, you got to beat George and Bama for those kids. And all those kids have grown up watching as those teams hoist trophies and awards. And, and furthermore, Jerry, what I would add to that on, on that topic is that's where a lot of the best defensive linemen are. That's from, right. Is that's the deep right. south. And so they're more familiar with those programs. I would say also uh, he signed Sadir Mitchell last year. Yeah. Uh, that's a guy coming Over down. Georgia from New Jersey. From New Jersey. Yep. No doubt. I mean, look, it, Bo Dave's doing a good job. The question is, you know, is he, uh, is he the greatest recruiter ever? I don't think anyone's espousing that he ever was. Is he more than a good recruiter? Yes, he is. He, he's proven that more than once at Texas, by the way, in my opinion. So it's not something that he's not Johnny come lately. He knows the game. Uh, I, I will add that uh, A&M right now has done a good job on the defensive line, getting guys like David Hicks, but they had a four-year relationship with David Hicks. This is one of the things I was talking about uh, in the recruiting breakdown, Jerry, with you and Justin, is that you know Jimbo Fisher had a little bit of a head start on Steve Sarkeesian here. And I think it played out, especially in the young guys. And now that Sark's going to – this will be his fourth um, fourth recruiting year, I, I guess, it, he will have caught up to that, in my opinion. And uh, there's no, there's not much of a unfair lead or unfair advantage Jimbo Fisher should have. Well, over and, and to further that point, I mean, let's be real. Jimbo had a 9-1, and one, whether it was the COVID year or not, 9-1 and one top five season. They beat Alabama. Right. I mean, same thing Brian Kelly did. He beat Alabama. You know, you beat Alabama. That's why that one point loss was such a heartbreaker last year in Austin. You know, whether Georgia's on top of the college football world or not, Nick Saban's still the best coach that there's ever been in our lifetimes. Right. So in the college game. And so if you beat them and you have that top five season, I mean, Texas A&M graded a ton of momentum and then collapsed on the field last year. Uh, but they've done a really good job recruiting defensive line, but they've won some key games. And you got to remember when Jimbo first got there, they're playing George and Clemson every year. They played them close. They didn't really get blown out. They were competitive in those games. That stuff matters. Definitely. So, all right, guys, well, this next question here is from Harrison Saunders. 
And he says, with more eyes on the prize these days, our high school <laughs> that's more accurate now. Seems like Shea Morenz came in as a 6'5", 225-pound quarterback and left as a 6'1", 210-pound right fielder. Jerry, I'll let you take this one. What, what, did he lose four inches when he fell down the stairs or what? <laughs> that's that's Now, that's a memory, Jerry. That's a memory. <laughs> I hope that um, – yeah, I don't, Bobby. I don't remember Shea in high school. Was he ever six five two twenty five? No, that I, I think that uh, here's what I would say to this question because he, he's not wrong in some. Harrison's right, right. not wrong. Uh, stats used to be exaggerated. Uh, there were offensive linemen that were supposed to be six four. They show up and they're six one. Right, correct. But that rarely happens anymore. Uh, Shea Morenz though was never a, a big guy. I mean, we, I was actually on campus working for the team when Shea Morenz came in for his official visit to Texas. And Shea was six foot, six foot one at that time, I thought. And, you know, buck 85, buck 75, something like, something like that. He wasn't a big guy ever. Well, uh, now, yeah. And to Harrison. Athletes, a different story. But yeah. um, I, I feel like that, that things have changed. Uh, stats are more accurate because of combines, That's camps. It. Uh, it's really started back in the mid-90s with the Nike camps. Yes. has evolved to include Under Armour, Adidas, various camps. Uh, and now they have what used to even be different, Harrison, were the uh, uh, wide chasms between a handheld 40 and an, autom and an automatically timed. Laser, yeah. Yeah, and now they have almost all of these camps have laser 40s because they have these new apparatus. And so you could actually get a, a pretty legit 40 time Whereas I saw a guy run a four four on one day and a four seven the next, um, that that's just not possible. But that's what, and, and I, I think yeah, the other thing I think the other thing too is huddle. YouTube and huddle change the game yeah. because you see more of these kids. These kids will put themselves out there standing next to somebody more, or like on their official visits on social media, right? So, I, I, not that high school coaches want to fudge to help their kids, but they want to fudge to help their kids when they can. It's harder to do that now. I want to say this too, uh, for those I don't know, Shea Moran's a very successful businessman in Houston these days. I uh, ran into him about six months ago at a, uh, or three months ago at a uh, uh, dinner uh, someone was having, and uh, he's doing very well, uh, proud, still a proud Longhorn, attends a lot of those functions uh, that support uh, Longhorn alumni. So happy for him and, and hope wish him nothing but the best. All right, guys, this next question, actually another one from Jesse Ullman. Uh, what would it take for Texas to get Justice Williams? I think he, I think he means Justin Williams from Oak Ridge. Um, yeah, that one's trending. I mean, that's been trending away. That's been a tougher recruitment. Oregon was a big favorite. He was just at Georgia um, with Joseph Jonah Janye, the defensive lineman from Oak Ridge, who I really, really love his upside. Jonah Janye texted me uh, two days ago, said he's going back to Georgia officially 23rd through 25th. So I figured Justin Williams will be there with him. They seem to be taking these last two or three visits together. Um, so, look, if Texas doesn't get him in in June, it'll be tough. I, I do know Texas will take two linebackers from high school level max in this class. It's a one or two class. Ty Anthony Smith, I think, is a huge, big target for Texas right now. He comes in June 20th through 22nd. If they can get Ty Anthony in the boat, they could beat AM and USC for him here in July, uh, early August. Then that will leave them the ability to just keep going after Justin Williams until signing day. Um, so if you get one of your top two targets in the boat, then you can just focus on trying to flip 
Justin Williams. But if Justin Williams commits to Georgia, it's going to be very difficult. And I do think him and Jonah Johnny will make a commitment before their senior season begins. Okay, this next question and uh, more team-related here. But uh, Ashton Hallman wants to know, can we get a two-deep for the secondary? I can give that a go if you want me to, guys. Sure. Go ahead. All right. Uh, boundary corner, I'd start with Ryan Watts. Field corner, I'm going with uh, Gavin Holmes as the starter. Backups uh, in the boundary actually is going to be Terrence Brooks. In the field uh, would be uh, – uh, would be Manny Muhammad. I think he's overtaken Xavier and Bryce. Uh, Manny Muhammad is in the top four there. Now, I will say this. I think that Brooks might move to the field if Holmes were injured as well. So there's really a top three at cornerback in my my, my uh, assessment right now. At star position, it's really clear. Jade Barron is the guy backed up primarily uh, by Jaden Gilbo who was not, or Jalen Gilbo, excuse me, who was not uh, uh, available this spring. Uh, at safety, it's a little bit more, I, I would say, wonky. I mean, we know Jaron Thompson has one of the safety spots left or out there. We believe that Jalen Catalan is going to take the other one. Behind them, it's questionable. Did B.J. Allen make a big enough run to overtake somebody like Michael Taft? Uh, did Keaton Crawford have a, have a good enough spring to actually push a guy like Jalen Catalan? Uh, and then you have Michael Taft that we mentioned uh, back there as well. That's the two deep uh, at this point. Where are gonna where are guys like Austin Jordan gonna be? Because he's a he could be a player somewhere in there. And then newcomer a newcomer uh, like Derek Williams as well. Okay, our next question here is. Another one from Jesse Ullman. How do we ensure our defensive line is up to par and ready for the SEC next? Do we have any SEC-type defensive linemen on the roster or that we're actively recruiting? Yeah, on the roster, uh, absolutely. Um, look, we'll see. I mean, obviously the three guys uh, this year that Texas fans know most, Alfred Collins, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, only one of those guys is for sure out of eligibility, Tavondre Sweat. Will Alfred Collins be back? Depends on the season he has, most likely not. He does have a COVID year. Byron Murphy's going to be a junior. He plays well in the NFL. If not, he'll be back. Uh, Trill Carter, the transfer, I would argue, is probably an SEC-level interior defensive lineman who's got two years to play. I mean, yeah, he, he played a ton of snaps um, last year for Minnesota and was honorable mention all Big Ten player. Uh, but then you have some of the younger kids. Aaron Bryant was a recruited kid. He chose Texas over the Mississippi schools, right? The Mississippi schools put out NFL defensive linemen. Uh, so I do think Jerry Bledsoe was recruited by SEC schools, and he may stay outside. We'll see. So I do. Sadir Mitchell obviously was a big win for Texas over Georgia and Auburn and Miami and people like that. So, yeah, they have those level players. The question, I think, more is how many of those guys are coming in the next class and are they going to have to hit the portal maybe for one guy to help supplement that while they get the next group of guys ready, Bobby? I, yeah, and you and I have talked about this. The problem with that assumption on the portal – is will there be guys there right. that they can get? That's right. Uh, because th those are be a Trill Carter level guy, but there's not really that guys that are Georgia Bama guys. There's not guys, those guys aren't jumping on the portal. Bear Alexander was a was an aberration, not right. a not a uh, common occurrence. Yeah, and Texas didn't even pursue that. If that tells people anything. Yeah. 
Okay, our next question, and Jerry, I'm going to let you just go ahead and take the lead on this one, but it's uh, from Freddie Cordova. <laughs> Caleb Love to Texas? North Carolina transfer guard that uh, was committed to Michigan, did not get admitted to school. Um, it, I hear it's Texas, Arizona. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's a battle. Um, you know, it's it, it, these are never easy recruitments. You're going against Blue Bloods for a kid like Caleb Love. Uh, I know Texas had a productive Zoom call with him and his family in the last uh, 48 hours. Uh, the question is, it's a dead period until May 26th. So the question is, does Caleb Love make a decision without even taking another visit? He's been on campus in Texas before, but that was way back in high school. He's from St. Louis area. Um, but does he make any visits or does he just make a decision off the Zoom calls because time's getting tight and he does have a familiarity with Frank Haith on staff from when Frank was at Missouri and uh he, if Frank knows the family pretty well there. So Texas has some connections there. They have somebody they, the Love family can trust in the recruiting process on the Texas side of it. Uh, but, look, it's a blue blood battle. Well, you're battling with blue blood, Arizona. Uh, everybody's got something to sell here. And it looked like it was Texas and UConn about 72 hours ago. That changed. I think UConn uh, is prioritizing Cam Spencer, the transfer grad transfer guard from Rutgers, who Texas has also talked to. Well, I have another basketball question, but before we get to that, Jerry, I just want to let everybody know we got still got plenty of time. Get your questions in. We'll be glad to get them answered by both Bobby and Jerry. Um, and let's see here. Rob Enfield. Thank you, Rob. Super chat here. Any feel from the Duncanville community or possible recruits regarding Holland trying to stop his deal with Texas? Yeah, you know, I didn't hear anything negative on Texas or Holland. Uh, I was at Duncanville last week. Uh, for an afternoon football practice. I didn't hear anything negative either way. I, I think the interesting thing is, you know, these kids are friends. They know each other. Colin Simmons knows Ron Holland. These guys all grew up together, or, uh, close proximity to each other. They play youth sports. I mean, Ron Holland played youth basketball, John Tay Cook and Malik Muhammad, right? They know each other, but these kids are going to make decisions independent. They're going to make the decision that's best for them at the end of the day. Um, and so if Texas wins enough football games, and, and, and Colin and his mom think Texas is the place for him. Ron Holland not going there is not going to affect Texas. Uh, that's one thing I'll tell Texas fans. And on the flip side, I didn't hear anything negative towards Holland and his family uh, for, for backing out of Texas either. Hey, I got to say this. Um, it's hard to keep away a school like Texas when your football program has 25 scholarship guys on it. I mean, <laughs> if you have that many, they got to go somewhere. You, know, you don't want to take out the state university. The, you know, Texas, I'm not saying that Texas, you know, is, is that big a deal or something to the Duncanville community, but Duncanville ISD are, are those guys, they want uh, to Texas, they want a mutually good relationship with yes. the University of Texas. Yes. So it, it behooves both sides uh, to play it close to the vest and, and be prudent about things. And I think that's one of the reasons why Texas also um, gave uh, Ron Holland his release today because Texas wants that in return as well. That's that's I think that's fair. Yeah. All right. And thank you again, Rob. We appreciate it as always. And uh, we're going to just stay on basketball for just another second, Jerry. As uh, Juan wants to know what's going on with the basketball portal. Obviously, you touched on Caleb Love a second ago. But any other updates that Texas fans should be aware of? Yeah, the three names that uh, I think to really know right now are Caleb Love, the North Carolina transfer guard, 6'4", would give some guard and explosive, uh, some size to the guard position and explosive scoring ability. Uh, like I said, Texas, Arizona, I think are the top two. We'll see if that changes. 
Cam Spencer, the 6'4 guard from Rutgers, who shoots 43% from three, 90 from the line. Really good sneaky defender. Um, I really think when he jumped into portal, everybody just assumed he was going to Georgetown. And that's not the case. He may end up at Georgetown, but he wasn't jumping in just to go to Georgetown. UConn's in that one. Texas is in that one. I believe Indiana's probably in that one along with Georgetown. So we'll see what happens. The third name is Arthur Kaluma, uh, the Creighton uh, combo forward. He's in the currently in the NBA draft. He also entered the portal. He's expected to come back to college. That was looking like Texas, Arizona from everything I was hearing. Then Arizona took the San Diego State grad transfer at the same position. So maybe Texas, Kansas State for Kaluma is more realistic right now. Uh, but Kaluma is a kid who uh, has some ties to Texas, not the University of Texas, the state of Texas before going to Arizona to finish high school. Um, so, look, the bottom line, Texas has eight scholarship players right now. They're going to get 10 scholarship players, maybe 11. Um, but it's really the next two guys are going to be the finishing pieces to this team. And, look, if they get one of the two guards and, and they get Kluma or they get two guards, um, they're going to be ranked top 10, 12 preseason. I mean, that's just the reality of where this team is um, right now. Rodney Terry's done a pretty good job. Then you have to pull it together. So we'll see what happens if they can get one or two of these last three guys. It's funny how everybody was freaking out, you know, just a few weeks ago. And now all those puzzle pieces are, are starting to line up and everything's falling into place. Then the hard, hey, Blake, then the hardest part begins. How do you get all these guys to play together in four months, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> and it. quickly, very quickly. And, and you can't do it like uh, Hoosiers. You can't do pass, pass, pass. You're not going to do five passes before a shot. That's just not happening. So, you know, it's, it's like this is real stuff now. <laughs> Everybody becomes John Calipari without lottery picks, yeah. where he's just taking five freshmen and throwing them out there every year, you know? Yep. Okay, guys, our next question here is from Sark Attack, and he wants to know who the strength and conditioning coach is, and then he said, y'all do a great job. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Sark, and uh, Bobby, I'll let you take his main question. Yeah, the strength and conditioning coach is Tori Becton. Uh, he came over from Cal, had a uh, tenure he was in the pros for a little bit, but then really was the uh, strength and conditioning coach at Cal. Uh, and I believe that uh, Sark knew about him through his time with Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll uh, had Becton at, uh, the, with the Seattle Seahawks, I think, as assistant strength conditioning coach. Uh, and that's where that came from. And, uh, I, you know, I will say this. Uh, I'm not one of those guys that can monitor who the best strength and conditioning coach is, that sort of thing. Uh, but I will say that Texas in injuries last year, pretty darn good. Um, and if that's not as big a part of strength and conditioning as anything in this, these days and times when you have limited scholarships and, and you know you're not going to necessarily get a great backup every single time, uh, I think that's as good, a, uh, as good of uh, monitor for how good that coach is, good or bad. I mean, I, I just think that Becton did a good job last year for sure, I hope he does a good job this year too. I, I want to add something, Blake, because it's come up on Inside Texas. The questions come up a lot. Uh, Rodney Terry still has a strength and conditioning hire to make in basketball. That's going to come from the NBA ranks, not Todd Wright. Um, just FYI to Texas fans, uh, Todd Wright's not happening. But it will be a hire from the NBA ranks, and it'll be soon. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. There you go. Nice little nugget there dropped by Jerry. For sure. Okay. Uh, Bobby, I'll let you tell the great folks out there about Energy Texas real quick. Yeah, we, we got to do our advertising reads each and every week. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the great state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, but Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's www.energytexas.com. Jerry, I got to say this. People are talking a little bit about your blackboard in the background. <laughs> you might want to tell them where you're at right now and whose office you're in. Do a little yeah. stand. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if any people, I mean, I'm, we're doing the live stream from TJ Ford's office tonight. Uh, uh, TJ's been a buddy for a long time. If y'all can see here, we got basketball going on. TJ's AAU team. So, uh, yeah, I'm 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 in Missouri City at TJ Ford Academy tonight, and uh, we're doing a live stream. And uh, man, the guy that put Texas basketball on the map in his office is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Okay, guys, we got some super chats we need to get to, and I'm going to start with the first one from Justin Yarbrough. Thank you, Justin. We appreciate it. Obviously, appreciate the 9.99. Do y'all think we will see commitments start coming in with the official visit season starting? And who is the biggest recruit Texas has missed out on in y'all's time covering recruiting? Ooh, good ah. <laughs> um, start, commitments start coming, I think, July and August, yes. There may be some trickle in uh, in June quickly after official visits. Uh, but the majority's kids will be July, August, or right before the starter season. I would say 75 80% of Texas targets will be committed by then. Um, I'm going to let Bobby go into the who the biggest miss because we I want to see if we agree on this one. Well, so <laughs> I, I think uh, Texas has 43 official visitors scheduled for the month of June. I do okay. think we'll see some come in that at that point in time, Justin, uh, particularly along the offensive line. Yeah, uh, those are uh, candidates for early uh, chip. Typically, they commit earlier. Right, Jer Jerry? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so those are those are natural candidates. They all come in or the majority of them come in the June 23rd weekend. Yes. So that's the latter part of the month. As far as big recruiting misses, um, you know, I, I guess I would say the biggest one at the time may have been Ryan Perilou, who ended up going to LSU um, <laughs> and caused some consternation among Texas fans because he really tried to play the media and, and that say that he was going to, to Texas while actually being – committed to LSU. He's a quarterback out of uh, Reserve, Louisiana. Texas, by the way, happened to get a little scrawny kid from West Texas 
in that same recruiting class named Colt McCoy, and everything turned out fine for the Longhorns. Uh, but uh, I would say he would be one. Really the biggest one that that I felt like Mac Brown missed on was probably Adrian Peterson, uh, followed closely by Tommy Harris, both the OU, the, the running back out of Palestine. Uh, Adrian was just an amazing player. Texas was not a finalist in that one. Uh, Adrian has since talked about how uh, he, why he didn't uh, pick Texas. Tommy Harris was a big one, though, because he would have started early and elevated Texas's defensive line pretty quickly. Uh, he was a defensive lineman out of Colleen. Yeah, the interesting thing is, uh, Bobby, you had Colt McCoy on here. Next time, ask him about this. Uh, I remember covering. I went down the reserve a couple times, and the word I was starting to get was that LSU might try to flip Colt McCoy if Ryan Perlew had stuck with Texas. So imagine that. And that's they how were. They were they, trying to. It was them in Kansas State, right? Yep. So, and it, it would have been LSU is who we'd have flipped to from everything I was hearing back then. So just think about how that worked out. I still think Perlew's so interesting. I think that's a kid who needed to get away from home that did not get away from home. I think th some of these kids need to get away from home. I totally agree on Adrian Peterson. I think the impact player, though, I was going to go there. I was going Tommy Harris because it was coming right on the heels of losing Hampton and Rogers. And if you'd have brought in Tommy Harris, another top 10 pick, he was a better athlete than even those guys were. But you would have had a first-round pick and a dominator from day one right after you lost two of the best that ever suited up at Texas at the position. I agree. Well, guys, I, you know, Bob, you said something, or both of you said something a second ago that it, I, I figured that people are going to ask about. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask you. But you said offensive linemen tend to commit early. Explain, what, in y'all's experience, why that is. Oh, I think that I think that they're not the divas that some of the other <laughs> positions are. I mean, I think that's pretty. They they're 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 not necessarily looking for the most flash. They're they're trying to figure out where they fit the best, uh, typically, and they they tune they tend to tune out the noise a little bit better than the skill skill position players because, frankly, the skill position players also have have scheme to consider more uh, at. at in a larger way than necessarily the, the offensive linemen do. I mean, sure you can zone block versus, I mean, it, but I feel like for the most part, offensive linemen, it's blocking. Whereas with, with uh, the skill guys, they've got other things to on their mind too. And, and, and I'll add, you know, one thing that carries over from a football game to recruiting nowadays is sadly, if you hear a name of an offensive lineman during a game, a lot of times he's got flagged for holding or a false start. In social media, those guys aren't going to dominate, right? The skill guys and the quarterbacks are and the mm -hmm. edge guys. Those guys are going to dominate in the social media space too. Part maybe diva, whatever it is. Um, but offensive linemen are never going to have that unless a guy. There's a video of uh, Daniel Fale like throwing some kid down when he's 400 pounds and making a 200 pounder look like he's 140 pounds ragdolling him. Those guys aren't going to get the big social media hits and following that the other some of the other skill guys get. Good insight there. Well, Justin, we thank you for your super chat. And let's move on to the next one, Lone Star Football Talk. Uh, they want to know, what's the best chance Texas lands Micah Hudson? Look, I think Texas Tech's a real player. Uh, I said this uh, with jo uh, Josh Newberg on On3, uh, the, the scoop uh, earlier this week. Uh, Texas Tech and, and Texas are the two official visits he has set, or he said he has set right now. Texas Tech, the 9th through 11th, that's their big weekend. And Texas, the 23rd through 25th, Texas is big weekend of the two. 
Um, so look, I, Texas Tech has a legit chance. Texas has a legit chance here. I've always said, you know, this is the recruiting Super Bowl for Joey McGuire. If he could beat Texas on Micah Hudson, I mean, it probably doesn't get any better in recruiting than that for, for Coach McGuire. But for Texas, what I've always said they really have to sell, I think everybody just assumes, oh, he'll go to the University of Texas. But you still have to have something to sell. And what they have to sell is Xavier Worthy could go pro. A.D. Mitchell could go pro. Jordan Weddington's gone after this year. So there's a lot of playing time to be had. That doesn't mean Jonte Cook, DeAndre Moore, and these guys aren't talented behind them. But there's a lot of experience that's likely gone this year. You're going to lose two probably. Chances are you could lose three if Texas has a really good season. So that is a sell with Micah Hudson. Isaiah Nayor can make it four, Jerry. Exactly. Yep. Great point. All right. Well, we thank you to Lone Star Football Talk for their super chat. And we're going to move on to the next one here, guys. It's from Freelance Society. I want to thank them. They say, see any similarities with this Texas team and the 2019 LSU team? I know the LSU team is an all-time great, but I feel like this Texas team is more hyped up than the LSU team going into this season. Boy, I don't know about that now. Uh, <laughs> um, I feel like LSU's receiver group was just – I mean, that may be the best receiver group. That and the Alabama group, um, I, I just don't know if Texas can compare there. Joe Burrow was a senior, uh, so he's definitely more experienced. Um, there are aspects of it that are, that are pretty similar um, in that the fact that they are that highly rated uh, at every position except for uh, running back. And the, LSU did not have a, a big-time, big-name running back. Guy ended up going in the first round of the NFL draft. Um, eventually, but I, I feel like there are some similarities, uh, but I don't know. I just don't know that Texas has that sort of experience on the roster across the board, particularly at quarterback. I mean, and furthermore, I don't know that I don't know that Quinn Ewers is that sort of precision like quarterback that Joe Burrow is. Joe Burrow is like a surgeon, right? He's like Ewers has been more of a gunslinger at this point. Yeah. Let's let's be fair. So I, I feel like there's some similarities. I do think that Texas has the talent there. I I literally believe Texas will have eight to ten guys drafted out of this coming year's class, that many. So they have the guys. I just don't know if they have enough of them and they're a lot, far enough along at key positions like quarterback. Um. That team off that team in 2020 and 2021 had 24 players drafted. Uh, and then you go into the 22 draft. I mean, and there's more guys. I mean, so that team is 40 plus guys drafted. Um, and if you look at that LSU team, the big difference to me is Caleb on chase on was a dynamic edge player, right? Mm -hmm. They had three linebackers drafted. Uh, multiple defensive linemen, Tyler Shelvin, Rashard Lawrence, uh, and they've had like six defensive backs drafted. Hey, that. no, Jerry, their defense wasn't even that good. No, they just had big-time talent on it, but they just yeah. killed it and they weren't that good. But they had so many NFL draft picks, it was crazy on it. I mean, Sam Ellinger moved it up and down the field on them. That's yeah. what I was about to I say. Mean, I mean, let's, let's be clear. I mean, they, they had talent on – and that was Dave Aranda too, by the way, which, I mean – Take that for what it's worth. But I, my my thought on it is, is just the offensive skill players. Yeah. I mean, Joe Burrow is a is an all-pro quarterback. Yeah. Jefferson, all-pro. 
they these guys aren't just you know oh when they got drafted in the first round these guys are bona fide NFL stars right that that's that's just rare yeah for sure well freelance society we want to thank you again for that super chat we're going to move on to the next one guys here and this one comes from Paul Maloney he says, I see y'all worrying about linebacker depth, and he agrees. But then he keeps seeing that y'all say what an amazing job that Texas is doing at linebacker recruiting. Are you saying we're banking on all these freshmen to be hits? Well, one for sure. <laughs> Anthony Hill and then Leon O'Fowl. Uh, but look, I think it's the early enrollees. Uh, to me, I think they signed a really talented linebacker class, but with Anthony Hill – um, and Leona LaFalbe being early enrollees, that accelerates their growth. And so now Anthony Hill's being talked about as a starter at Will Linebacker from game one. Whether that happens or not, he's being talked about in that way. And Leona LaFalbe has all that – the things that carried over from his high school tape and what we heard about him was how natural and good he was in coverage. Well, that start, showed up in spring football and him getting the kind of – get his feet wet against the level of athletes that he's going to face on a week, week to week basis, day to day basis at Texas is beneficial for him. So I do think um, that Anthony Hill needs to be a big hit for Texas. Uh, is he going to be a freshman all American like Harold Perkins or Kelvin Banks? I'm not saying that, but he needs to be a hit. And then Leona LaFowl needs to provide really good depth. So I think they're recruiting the right guys. It just so happened. A couple of those guys are early enrollees and accelerated their growth. Here, here's the thing, but you look at it, Texas depth. Jalen Ford, frontline starter, all Big 12 type guy, possible All-American. Behind him, Jet Bush, senior, uh, former walk-on, but a, a plausible player as a backup. Opposite him, you have David Benda and uh, Maurice Blackwell. Uh, and then you also have Anthony Hill. Blackwell is more of a cover linebacker, speed guy. Benda more the in-the-box in guy. Hill you hope is both and a little bit more of a, a pass rush guy. My question is, as it relates to all of this is you're never going to get that perfect depth. You hope to start seeing some of these guys develop over time. Cause I mean, to be honest with you, De Maurice Blackwell wasn't ready to go as a freshman. He's more ready to go now. Um, Lone Leonga LaFowle is not ready to go as a freshman. In my opinion, he may be ready to go next year though. Um, Anthony Hill is that rare exception. Uh, to the rule. All right, guys. This next one here uh, is from King Me. It says, Jerry, and Bobby, feel free to jump in on this too, but is there a summer enrollee that could crack the two deep by midseason? I'm leaving the punter out of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Right? I don't want to. I want to talk about Shane Leckler's leg in the Astrodome again, but we'll save that for a different discussion. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Bobby, we, we're all very high on Derek Williams, and that doesn't even begin to tell you how high Steve Sarkeesian, Michael Griffin, those guys are on him. But, man, not being an early enrollee, midseason, could you see him breaking the 2D at safety? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, I could. But, I look, I think a lot of that depends, too, on, on B.J. Allen. Yeah. And uh, B.J. Allen showed a little up. something at the end of last uh, – end of spring ball. Uh, and I think that – and you know this, Jerry, we've been doing this a long time. Going from high school to college, the biggest thing for safeties is do they under, truly understand coverage? Yeah. And I think that Derek Williams does, but will he be able to react, react to it? And there is no telling what that actually means. You yeah. know, um, the actual guy that I was going to mention as a possibility is Jelani McDonald. 
Um, because if they play him at star, Jerry, um, he's a bigger star candidate than either uh, Barron or Gilbo. And if they start running into some run-heavy teams, they could use him at star, in my opinion. Yeah, but- I'm interested on Tassilia Khan a little bit. And here's here's why. Because he's coming in as more of a designated pass rush specialist right now. And he's an older kid. He's 19 and a half years old, right? Um, so even though he wasn't an early enrollee, if the guys in August that are returning, nobody takes that, say, bull by the horns, right? It's a dumb thing to say. But as a pass rush guy, could he get some designated pass rush stuff on third down? Is it possible, Bobby? I mean, they got to get that position solved. So if he comes in and can bring something the other guys that are he already been there aren't, he might get some cracks at it. Hey, another one is Spencer Shannon. As a blocking tight end. Blocking tight because they need a third tight end because Juan Davis is just not built like a blocking tight end. Yeah, good point. Okay, guys, this next one is a question. I'm actually interested to hear both of your answers in on this one. And it's another one from Jesse Ullman, but he says, who's the next assistant coach we lose for a bigger position? Y'all thoughts? I mean, it has to be somebody to coordinate her job or somebody that just wants to go coach in the NFL, right? I mean, for Texas fans, the name is all to short choice if the Dallas Cowboys ever want to hire a running back coach, right? I mean, we'll see. Um, to me, it's, you know, it's defining could A.J. Milwee, if Texas is really good, go be a head coach in the MAC. Those things are happening nowadays, right? He's got a MAC background. Um, to me, that's kind of the guy I would look at. I mean, if Texas has a really good season, um, could he get a head coaching job? Could he go straight to head coaching uh, position in the MAC, Bobby? I don't know what your thoughts are, but he's kind of the guy that comes to mind. Yeah, I think he is. I because they'll probably get a lot of plaudits for developing in his recruitment of uh, some big players. Uh, but if they if they win big, the offensive coordinator is always the one that you look at as the next guy uh, on defense. Uh, what about Jeff Choate? As a head coach, I was thinking that. Too. Yeah, yeah, he came in as a former, former Montana State head football coach. So he's got that pedigree and that background. He might go somewhere that's slightly larger than Montana State, right? Not He's not going to go get the, I don't know, the Oklahoma State job or something, but uh, a little bit bigger job than Montana State if the Longhorns do well. Uh, and I, I'm going to say this. He continues to show that he can develop linebackers. I'm Jalen Ford in two years has turned into from from a, a decent prospect to a legitimate NFL player. Uh, and he's got more on the way. I, here's what here's I like. These, him. Yeah, here's these scenarios too to think about with this. If Baylor, Oklahoma State, or a job opened up and Jeff Trailer left UTSA and got took one of those jobs, could a Jeff Choke stay in the UT system and be the next head coach at UTSA? Those are the scenarios I kind of look at with some of these guys that aren't that like AJ Milway has the Mac background, right? Uh, but could somebody stay in the UT system and get the UTSA job if Jeff Trailer has a chance to move on their power five? It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. That's for sure. Well, guys, our next question is from DJ Dog Thirty One. And he said, Overshone getting drafted by Dallas. Does that help with recruiting as far as the perspective from the recruits? Um, I, I don't really think so. Um, I, I, I think all, the numbers, as the numbers go up of guys getting drafted, is what's going to help uh, more than any singular player. Bijan Robinson has an impact, obviously. Um, 
I think Roshan Johnson could in the Golden Triangle because his story is just going to be told and is already being told. Uh, but I think more it's just the sheer numbers of guys getting drafted than any specific player outside of Bijan. I agree with that. I think Dallas carries a little bit of a uh, glow to it, uh, but not so much as having 30 or 40 guys in the NFL overall. Right. To, to, my, to Jerry's point, I, I think Dallas certainly carries that allure to local players, but uh, not not – not as big as just overall NFL factory type situation. Yeah, I mean, if he was from Duncanville or DeSoto, probably would have a bigger impact. But he's from a tall town smaller than where Justin Wells lives, so no. <laughs> God. <laughs> We're probably bigger than where I live, so I can't say anything. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> All right, guys, well, let's move on to the next one here. Uh, this one from Glenn Davis. Will Texas host a regional in baseball this year? And I don't want, I'll grab this one real quick. Go for it. (laughs) All right. Well, so I actually talked to some college coaches uh, about what Texas needs to do. And it's it's great that they won the Big 12, but it also doesn't help them with their RPI. Uh, I got it in front of me here. On their side of the bracket, the teams they're going to face, 38 TCU, 53 KSU, and then Kansas, of course, is who they open up with. And their RPI is 103. The other side of that bracket, who they wouldn't even face till the end, you know, if they made it all the way, uh, you got Oklahoma State at 20, West Virginia 21, Texas Tech at 44, and Oklahoma at 36. So they're really not doing any favors. What the best case scenario is to face TCU often, make it to the championship, and beat whoever is over there. Um, worst case scenario, they're going to be a two seed. Best case, they're going to be a very, very low down the line one seed, but the Big 12 championship tournament or the Big 12 tournament is not going to do them any favors at all unless they just go out and win the whole thing. So do you think they're going to host a regional or no? <laughs> let's see how they do the first two rounds. <laughs> let's see what Texas team shows up, Bobby, and then we'll come back to that question. But I, I think if they t- if they take care of business, they should. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see how they do. It, they didn't do the seeding did not do them any favors when it comes to the Big 12 tournament itself. So, all right, guys, next question here from Jared Voswinkle. Is it a possible factor in not landing the in-state kids? And Jerry, I know you touched on this earlier. The fact that the current recruiting generation has not seen a truly dominant Texas. 100%. Uh, that, that's it to me. Um, it's look, these kids, when they're, I've always said it's like the age of influence. When you're 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, you identify with teams or players. And all these kids have seen is Alabama, uh, Georgia, and Clemson dominate college football and SEC, dominate the draft, dominate the awards. Um, You know, so it it is what it is. That's what these kids know. They still know Oregon's uniforms, uh, which is interesting to me. Oregon's kind of held a cool school appeal for a long time now. Uh, it's a good good job on them for having the uniforms that catch everybody's attention. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's what these kids know growing up. And that's why I really think this year, like, people are trying to tie if Texas gets to 10 wins, gets to a Big 12 title game, does that help them in the 24 class? I'm looking down the line. I'm looking at 25 and 26 class. You know, the 24 class, the hay is pretty much going to be in the barn. Um, so what does it do for your future recruiting? Texas wins 10 games this year. They they live in the top ten of the polls all year. Maybe they go out and win the Big Twelve championship. That does more for future classes 
these kids start believing again. Because here's the thing. I do believe, Bobby, I'd love your opinion on this. I think the parents still remember the good Texas teams that live that lived here. And they need a reason to kind of tell their kids that about it, but they don't sometimes don't have it right now. Look, I've been through this personally. I mean, you, there there's ebbs and flows to this, peaks and valleys. I, I grew up at a time when Texas had just been really good and was going into a doldrum stage. So I grew up in the 70s uh, and early 80s. Got to Texas in the late 80s uh, when they were not as good uh, as they had been in the 70s. Um, and there are a lot of people that that were like that. They weren't really good again until the the aughts, right? And uh, it's it's a cycle, uh, so to speak. Um, and it does matter. The one thing that the University of Texas always carries with it, though, Jerry, is that it is the state university of the te- of the state of Texas. Yep. Um, it is the one that has the most political power, the most political capital, period, end of story. A&M tries in that regard and, and has some power itself, but it's still not the University of Texas. And that, that affects a great number of football prospects that happen to live in this state. Um, and so I, I feel that that's the one thing that allows Texas to make that reappearance, I mean, you could be down like TCU was for 50 years. I mean, yeah. Texas hasn't had that cycle down, right? Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm really getting at. Um, it, yeah. And, and by the way, I think there's a third piece to this. The population growth in Texas, in Georgia, in Florida, right? A lot of these kids that are coming up now, they weren't necessarily born in Texas. They didn't grow up with a UT or A&M jersey on, a Georgia Bulldog jersey, a Florida Gators jersey. That the population changes in these states uh, that's brought more talent to these states, and they didn't. They're not from Texas. They didn't grow up Texas, and that that's a hurdle you have to get over as well. Very true. Well, guys, we got a we got time for a few more questions, so get them in. And uh, in the meantime, Bobby, why don't you tell the good folks out there about Energy Texas? Yep. Last sponsor update for the night. Uh, Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and uh, calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, but Texas. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's www.energytexas.com. We appreciate them and their sponsorship each and every Tuesday night of the live stream. All right, guys, this next question here is going to come from Paul Maloney. And uh, Paul says, if Sweat, Collins, and Murphy all enter the draft, how confident are we at interior defensive line next year? Strength to huge weakness or no? Uh, <laughs> I, I'll take it. I mean, the, the next three up would be Trill Carter, um, Aaron Bryant, and Sadir Mitchell. They have to go portal. If, if all three of those guys go pro, they absolutely have to go portal because you can't have a true freshman expected to be in the two deep before you even get him on campus. Yeah. Um, and that means the other three have to be healthy too. So it is a potential weakness for Texas next year. If all three of those guys indeed go, I expect sweat and Collins to go Murphy. It, I think it depends on the grade he gets back. Uh, but Murphy may be the best of all of them. So take, take that for what it's worth too. I wouldn't count on any of those three returning next year. And I don't think Steve Sarkeesian and Bo Davis are. I agree. 
Uh, Jerry, this next question is from you, and it comes from David Rawls. And I'm probably going to butcher this name. My apologies in advance. But he wants to know if you've heard anything on linebacker Kamar Mathudi from California. Yeah, um, he, uh, it's reported today that he had scheduled a June 20th through 22nd visit. I don't think that's finalized yet, but I do think it will be. Um, and look, he's an Oregon lean uh, uh, over Washington, headed into the June official visit process. He's going to be at Utah the 2nd through 4th, Michigan State the 9th through 11th, Washington the 16th, 18th. There's Kamar uh, on three industry ranking four star out of uh, Campbell Hall in L.A., but then if he makes that Texas visit, that's sandwiched between Washington and Oregon gets him that last weekend in June. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Again, Bobby, that adds another out-of-state official visitor once it's finalized to the 16th, 18th, 20, 22nd, uh, those dates. And that would make 14 of 21 out-of-state, I believe. Unbelievable. Um, it's 23 of 43. All total, yeah. Yeah, out-of-state. And Mathudi's an interesting prospect because he's Campbell Hall hasn't put out a lot of guys recently. He's a guy that rushed for 1,350 yards, had 111 tackles, 15 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, a couple interceptions. He is a very high ceiling, very high upside rangy athlete. Okay, our next question is another recruiting question here from D. Scott Matthews, and sounds like he's fishing for a couple of recruiting nuggets here, but he wants to know, who are a couple of football recruits that may be close to pulling the trigger next month? I tried to put that question in for, for all of us, too. Um, let's see. <laughs> I, uh, just to see what everybody would say. Um, look, I, I think the – Daniel Cruz, I don't know how long he goes on his recruitment offensive lineman after the official visits. He's got Ohio State the 2nd through 4th, a the 9th through 11th, Oklahoma 16th through 18th, and Texas 23rd through 25th. He's been to all these schools other than Ohio State multiple times. He's been to Texas, it seems like, six or seven times now. I'm not sure how long that one goes on. Uh, uh, Makai Saina, Saina out of Arlington Martin, he's got A&M, he's got USC in Texas. If he doesn't set up a official to Oregon a fourth visit – I don't think that one's going to go on much longer. So to Bobby's point, some of those offensive line guys, I think could come off the board uh, pretty quick. I think Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker out of Jasper, A&M second through fourth, uh, USC the 16th to 18th. He has Texas the 20th through 22nd. The reason he's doing that, he starts a family cruise the 23rd. So he'll be cruising, thinking about that uh, college decision. I don't think his will go on uh, much into July. So those are some guys to watch for sure. And look, there'll be some others – Pop. Here's the reality. There's going to be somebody that's scheduled to visit Texas June 23rd through 5th that shuts it down before then and goes somewhere else or the 16th through 18th. So somebody is going to pop before the visits even happen. So there you go. Okay, this next – oh, Mick, Mick Booger Balls 512, we want to thank you for the super chat. I'll I'm glad it. you have to say that I'll name and not me. <laughs> I don't mind. If that's the worst thing that comes out of my mouth today, I've done something right. So <laughs> I will say it. But thank you, McBoogerballs512. We appreciate the super chat. <laughs> okay, guys, this next question here uh, from Mock Snell says, how will summer workouts be set up with essentially three five-star quarterbacks? Does Quinn lead and include Malik and Arch? Summer workouts are a little bit different. Now, they, they don't just run the ones with the one. They run everybody in and out. Um, and so they'll get equal, equal reps. Charles Wright, will, the four-string quarterback, will get just about equal reps as well. So they run two teams of two, basically, back-to-back -back against each other. Um, it, 
and this is all summer workouts to be clear, non-contact, no shoulder pads, no helmet, any of that stuff. It's literally just on grass, uh, basketball. It's football on grass, right? That's it. Uh, and so it's a little bit different. Once fall starts, fall camp, which I believe is going to start around August 1st, uh, that changes things. And then you will definitely see the first week be about even. And then they'll start uh, letting uh, Quinn definitely be the leader in that that regard. But uh, summer workouts, it's for everybody. Good insight there, Bobby. Okay, we have another super chat, guys. This one from Robert Muhammad. Thank you, Robert. And he says, if we have patch ca- pass catchers, with 12, 8, 7, and 6 touchdowns, which pass catcher do you think has 12? Who has 8? Who has 7? Who has 6? I'll go A.D. Mitchell, 12. Wow. Worthy, 8. Um, Sanders, 7. And Whittington, 6. I, I would flip-flop Worthy and, and Whittington – or Worthy and uh, Mitchell there. I, I, I think that – I think that – Worthy's the one that has some touchdown because to get 12, you're not going to find 12 red zone touchdowns, right? No. You know what I mean? With eight, with AD Mitchell. That I, I would just flip flop from Jerry's list. I would flip flop and put uh worthy at 12 Mitchell at eight Sanders at seven and Whittington at six. I, I and Jonte cook with two. How about that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, next question is, oh, and thank you again, Robert. Uh, next question from C-Note. Will Texas be in the top five recruiting this class? I think they're going to be top ten. Uh, top five, look, I mean, that generally comes down to two things. How many five stars uh, do you sign and how many guys in the kind of top 50, 150 of that top 300? Uh, so the Texas class, I think they're going to be a top 10 class. What it's going to come down to is Kobe Black, Colin Simmons, Micah Hudson, for sure. Those guys, right? I mean, those guys for sure. You have Jarrett Gibson, who, who's a top 45 type of kid in the country. You have some some guys like that, the Selman Bridges. Um, but it's really going to come down to those three five-star guys. Not saying that's the only five stars Texas is on, but Texas needs to win two of those three. All right. And then by the way, everybody's battling for two in recruiting. I mean, it's it's already done. This deal's done. Okay, are Georgia. Next... Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Our next question here from 28 Jalopy. Easy question. Jalen Catalan update. Still recovering. Uh, it's expected to be full go in the fall. All right. So short and sweet. Okay, guys, this is going to be our last question, and I'm very interested to hear your thoughts, both of your thoughts on this one. This one comes from Alan Barrera, and he says, thoughts on Baker Mayfield being ranked number one as the best quarterback from the 2000s. I'm glad you saved saved this from last. What what, what goes into that? Not running. He's not the the best OU quarterback. He's the third best (laughs) OU quarterback. The guy couldn't run away from the cops. He's a starting quarterback. There's Look, Sam Bradford was better than him. Kyler yeah. Murray was better than him. Yes. Period. He's not even the best quarterback for OU. <laughs> he may have had the best stats, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to help the SPN out with this one a little bit, but since I'm not there and can't get fired anymore. <laughs> if Baker Mayfield was the quarterback at Texas against USC, Pete Carroll wouldn't have lost. Done. In the discussion, I mean, how did that not? How was that not part Look, of the discussion? 
he never won a champion. He won, never won a national championship. That was unbelievable. <laughs> that was just ridiculous. I mean, who who wrote? I mean, I, I, I good, good on you, Blake, for finishing with that. Yeah, one. I loved how I threw a grenade into the conversation. <laughs> at the very Next time, end. we'll get Kevin Murray on here and get his thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to do it. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, guys, that's going to do it for tonight. I want to thank all of our Super Chat uh, fans out there. Rob Enfield, Justin Yarbrough, Lone Star Football Talk, Freelance Super Society, Nick Boogerballs 512, and last but not least, Robert Muhammad. Thank you all so much, as always. And uh, we'll be back same time, same place next Tuesday right here on the On Texas Football live stream. For Jerry and Bobby, I'm Blake Monroe, and have a good evening. Welcome. Okay.